어이 서울 천놈 왜? 뭐라고 미청구석이야 범인 잡으러 감식반 올 때까지 전부 움직이지 마! 대한민국 병사들은 이 발로 몇 바짝 움직이면 다 밟혀 나 여기 어디 알아? 너밥못 들어와서 이 새끼야 네가 지 잔대가리 굴리는 놈은 저, 저기, 저기 가 미국 가뭐 FBI를 하든 야 박두만이! 모두 8명의 부녀자가 폭행, 폭행당한 채 숨져서 주민들이 불안해하고 있습니다. 살해당한 사건은 아직 범인이 잡히지 않고 있습니다. 살해된 여자가 하나 더 있어요. 아직 시체가 안 나와서 그렇지. 두달전 7월 18일 실종됐습니다. 참내 난또 누구라고. 복구 현수는 걔 나랑 잘안내야그이 동네에서 현수이 제일 모르면 간첩이에요? 기차길 옆에 근원에서 먹을 양수기 먹을 꽉꽉 졸랐어. Trying to well, last week was election week here in the U.S. and that was a bit uh, that kind of broke the monotony. But it looks like things are returning to sameness now. Okay, well, is uh, I was curious as to how it was in your area because um, it's all over the news, chaos in the streets as um, Trump refuses to concede uh, the election and his followers are uh, protesting. Yeah, there's no. Uh, well, today there is a march. As of as of our recording, obviously, when this comes out, it will be almost a week later. But uh, uh, today there's a march. But usually, it has been relatively. There hasn't been any riots or anything. There was a celebration uh, on last Saturday, and today there it's a a, a planned march uh, that's happening in Washington D.C. But as far as I'm following, there's nothing. Nothing to suggest that things are getting out of control in the streets, and there there wasn't even that that first week. It was chaotic, and if you looked on the news as they were counting, but at least as far as uh, uh, being able to walk outside and all that, it's been fine as far as I can tell. Well, I'm glad the media got it wrong about there being another civil war. No, I I mean I, it's. There's a there's a difference between you know a few people that are active on Twitter versus a, a majority consensus, which is usually a lot more measured. Although nothing's impossible, um, and there are angry people out there, so uh, it's just they're not as many as the media makes them out to be. But you know, hopefully everything will end well. Absolutely. Yeah, but yeah, it is. The election did kind of just put a hold on my life, even though it was just. 
kind of pointless to just follow along the whole thing because it was just, you know, like all they're doing is they're counting votes and the news has to make it exciting. So they're just doing all this map stuff and, and, and you know, like breaking news, 500 more votes from that county. Uh, and it's just, it was just uh, a lot of time wasted following the news, but uh, <laughs> what are you going to do? It's pretty addictive on the... Um social media i suppose when you wait for the results to update and you're hearing all sorts of drama yeah absolutely uh before so before we go in uh before we move into the our usual program so to speak uh i just like to up, update our listeners on what the status of our podcast is uh we talked a little bit me and jason about this and we're just gonna just to make to, to kind of bring out our schedule a little bit. So we initially, we haven't mentioned this throughout the episode, episodes except the very first episode, but our initial plan was to do, to split the podcasting seasons. And the first season was uh, what we de- defined as gateway films. That is films that are accessible to a Western audience. And that's why the films that we've picked so far, including the one today and including the one that we're going to do next week, probably are films that are fairly popular and that can ease someone uh, into into Asian cinema. And that's our first season. Today's the seventh episode of that of that run. And next week will be the last one. So the first season will only be uh, eight episodes long. And after that, we will do a Christmas special, which we have not decided exactly what it will be, what film we'll cover, if it'll be just one, or what formal discussion we'll take. But then that will be the end of the first season. And then when we start at some... We'll take a, a small break, so there'll be a, a larger gap between episodes from the first as we move on to the second season. Uh, and then we'll decide what exactly the theme of that second season is. And we haven't yet, so we have no idea. But probably we will maybe try to dive deeper into uh, a few... Certainly we will cover well-known films. We'll continue to do that, but maybe we'll jump into some less well-known films, some more obscure parts of Asian cinema, etc. So that's the plan. I just wanted to update the audience, our, our audience on what's next. So there will be one more episode uh, at two weeks after this premiere, and there will be a Christmas special, and then we'll take a short break to kind of plan out season two. Is there anything you'd like to add to that, Jason? Uh, no, that was a perfect, succinct, and uh, gave all the information. Okay, so yeah, so that's just where things are right now. Uh, why don't why don't we jump into the regular part of our podcast and talk about what we've been watching the last couple of weeks? So why don't you start, Jason? So um, carrying on from Halloween, I've been watching um, Italian horror films uh, to, such as Lisa and the Devil by Mario Bava, and um, I also tried out uh, some more Giallo. Uh, with some rewatches of Dario Argento's movies, uh, including uh, The Bird of the Crystal Plumage. And in terms of Asian cinema, I watched Wandering Alien Detective Robin by Lisa Takeba. It's a 19-minute short film, which is uh, on on YouTube, hosted by the uh, International Film Festival Rotterdam. Uh, Lisa Takeba is a director I've been following since her film um, The Pinky in 2014. She's got a very um, wild style about her. Um, DIY aesthetics, um, happy-go-lucky, joyful love stories, and um, wandering alien detective Robin's uh, black and white noir. And um, yeah, it's available to view on YouTube, so uh, try it out. It's only 20 minutes long. 
Yeah, and if you send me the link, I'll be sure to post it. Uh, well, hopefully I'll post it. Sometimes I forget, but I, I'll try to to post it if 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 I have the link. And uh, yeah, um, other than that, uh, I was a bit distracted by the U.S. elections as well. Just it's kind of interesting watching sort of the the meltdown at the White House at the moment, and seeing how Biden responds to it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I went back to work. Uh, so it, my time was a bit constrained. Yeah. I mean, I, I was in the same boat. I, the, the wet, the, like I, I already said this, but the election did kind of waste, uh, about a week, a bit less than that of my time. So I didn't do much during that week, but I did manage to, to do some viewing the week after. I'm, I'm sorry. Were you done with your portion of, of what you've watched this week or did you have more? I didn't want to, uh, I don't want to interrupt you. No, that's fine. Yeah, I, I, I think the only thing I would add is that Mario Bava is a fantastic director. His camera movements and compositions are perfect. That's about it. I need to. I need to. I, I don't uh, unless I've seen something that I didn't know was him. I'm not aware of any specific films that I've seen of him. But uh, a few episodes ago, I mentioned that I was watching this series narrated by Christopher Lee about uh, mm. the history of horror, and Mario Bava is a frequent. Uh, mention uh, his films are mentioned very frequently in that ser- in that documentary series, so he's he's definitely got my attention. Yeah, you should definitely check out some of his films. Um, Black Sunday, Black Sabbath. Um, uh, there, uh, there are a couple of Jallos. Uh, I can't think of the names of them, but uh, yeah, um, Mario Bava is like he helped define the sort of giallo style he's and um he helped move italian horror away from the sort of um ah uh, what well, ah uh, who's that uh roger the roger coleman um style of gothic horror i've seen more roger corman films uh that's certainly true uh, and I quite like him. Uh, he has some surprising names in the uh, titles that you wouldn't think are Roger. I mean, he was a very he's known mostly for his wacky horror and special effects films, but he is he was a very diverse filmmaker. He made a lot. He produced a lot of and even directed a lot of films that you wouldn't think it was him. Yeah, he's worked with some great actors like Jack Nicholson and Robert De Niro. Yeah, and William Shatner. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I don't uh, know if you've seen The Intruder. I haven't. I've heard of it. That's a fantastic film. It's a very low budget. Oh, is that the Trump-like figure? Yeah, but yeah, I think that might be the closest way to describe him. Yeah, made in 1962 about uh, integration, uh, about this mysterious figure that like uh, wanders into a small town and tries to rise up the entire town to sort of deny integrations. I mean, the story is certainly good. The ending was criticized, and I agree. The ending feels rushed, and that the reason because of that. Behind that is that it was rushed. They had to finish it quickly. But just the, the approach that he takes, the tone of the film, the sort of the mystery element of this guy that just comes out of nowhere and just gets a whole town riled up behind his cause is, is excellently just a, a masterpiece of writing, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, the reason I know it is because it did the rounds on Twitter a couple of years ago when people were making the comparisons between William Shatner's character and Trump. So it got my attention. The comparison is is certainly there. The similarities are certainly there. I think the I, I'm, I have a hard time articulating that, but the sort of the char- I forget the name of the character played by uh, William Shatner, but he's just um, he's he's not necessarily tapping into a campaign of misinformation. He's just exploiting something a, a much more basal 
instinct of the of the population, which it was racism at the time. Whereas I think the reason behind uh, the current politics, I think they're a lot more complicated. Uh, I I, oft, I I always dislike when people try to boil it down to a very simple reason. Oh, uh, Trump won because of this, or Trump lost because of that. It's just I, I, politics are a lot more complicated than people people often present on TV because they have to they have to keep an audience. But anyway, and a healthy dose of racism. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean that that's certainly an element, but um, but um, yeah, as you said, misinformation. Yeah. And media manipulation, and the public have a very short mem- uh, memory attention span. That's true, and I think it is. It is. A, 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 I'm going to say this, and maybe hopefully we, because we're not a politics podcast, we're a, a film <laughs> podcast. Although, of course, art is definitely involved in politics, so we cannot we cannot completely ignore them. But my, uh, the, I think the problem with politics, and this has always been the case, it's not something new, is that the job of a politician is to govern. And campaigning is a is a necessary evil, so they can get to governing. But I, I feel like it's politicians that are good at the job that are good are not necessarily good because they're good at governing. They're good because they're good at campaigning, which means they're good at winning. Uh, and I think that's a fundamental problem with sort of uh, the current state of democracy. Let's just put it very broadly like that. And you know, it's just you have to make you have to state whether it is serious issues, real issues, or fake issues. You have to state them in a way that attract uh, is attractive to people. And the the person who makes more the who it's not the person who makes more sense that wins uh, the affection of the people. It's a person who states uh, whatever they are stating in the most attractive and the most sometimes most manipulative because that's part of attraction. That's part of gaining followers and the most simple way sometimes. And real world problems are not simple. Problems are complicated. They're complicated problems with complicated solutions. And I think that need to simplify and make things attractive to sort of a, to a mass audience is what I think is a, a very serious problem in, in, in politics. Absolutely. It's one exacerbated by the media, which constantly yeah. demands bombast to keep viewing figures high. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, so that was, so, you know, of course we can, we can, uh, uh, and of course, our, our episode today, when we get to it, also has to do with politics. So this might may arise again, but but for now, let's just try to move back into movies, uh, and then we will will uh, will bring this up when it becomes relevant again. Um, and our audience has to forgive us because we don't want to do this. But of course, it's been part of our lives for the last week and a half, so it's impossible to not <laughs> to you know not talk about it. It's like even if you want not to talk about it, it just comes up. So you just cannot escape it. Yeah, and it's you know it is what it is. Uh, to quote Joe Pesci, and I think Donald Trump said something similar. As yeah, well. well, Joe Pesci said it first in The Irishman, and Joe Pesci said it best. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's such a simple one, <laughs> but it was so effective in that film. Just uh, to that was a great film. Feel free to cut any of that. No, I'm I'm going to leave it. It's fine. Um, they can fast fast forward is always an option in in uh, in podcast players. Uh, okay. So okay, I'll I'll quickly go over what I said. So I did I did even though Halloween is over the sh- uh, month of October, which is the horror month, I did I did got manage to sneak another horror film that I hadn't seen, and it's uh, the first film of the Phantasm series. Okay, yeah, I, I hadn't seen it. I, I actually, to be honest, I didn't even know it existed. I didn't even know it was popular at a popular franchise that had many many films. 
Uh, I liked. I thought it would have. I, I thought it would be a cheap, a bad horror film from the '80s. Well, this was '79, but close enough. Uh, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. I thought uh, the technically was very well done. There's it has minimal dialogue, and I think the visual presentation of the film was uh, was great. And of course, horror is known for that for for pioneering in visual techniques. Uh, I think the story was a bit lackluster. I. It failed to do what a horror film should do and, and, and scare me. Like the main villain, uh, I didn't find him scared at all. Of course, he's become sort of iconic, the tall man, as they call him. But I don't know. As far as I'm concerned, I, I didn't find him that compelling. And uh, the story, like I said, was a bit like Luster and it didn't make much sense. But I think the atmosphere and the mood of the film kind of was enough to draw me in. And I guess that's that's enough for this kind of film. The story doesn't have, necessarily have to be top-notch as long as the... the uh, the feeling around it is is adequate. What else? Uh, oh, uh, so whereas no- October is the month of horror, November is the month of noir, or noir-vember as they call it. So I kind of went to Amazon Prime and searched for noir, and I kind of added a few films to my wish list, uh, and I watched a, a couple of them. So a couple, well, I watched a few of them, but a couple that kind of stood out were The Big Combo, which is a 1955 noir film, uh, not very well known, but again, it's the story is okay, is adequate. But I was very um, impressed by first of all the visual aesthetic of film. It, it, it felt ahead of its time. That's just the best way I can put it. And whereas uh, another thing that kind of took me a little bit by surprise was how uh, how explicit the sexual innuendos one were because. As we all know, there's always been an element of sexual innuendos in all noir films that it was very, very under the wraps, so to speak. But this was was at, at a slightly higher level. It was a, a little bit more stated openly, which is like I don't think I've ever seen another noir film that like states that as openly this did. Of course, there, it's still implied, not stated, but it's very strongly implied. And another noir film that I watched was Detour from 1945. Uh, this was more of a B film at the time, but it, it's kind of gained has gained attention since, since then. And it was it's a very short film. It's like a bare, just above an hour. But the story is very simple again. But I think the atmosphere and the the tone of it is very 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 stereotypically noir and very well done for a film that was presumably shot in like five days or something. So that that's that's as far as my film watching goes. I watched I watched the first season of the, and a little bit of the second season of uh, Ricky Gervais' Afterlife series. Uh, mm-hmm. Not not a huge fan. Uh, I felt forced to me. Felt too bucolic. I don't know how to describe it. It felt like it was like whereas this other series have are comedies with bits of drama sprinkled in. This was a drama with bits of comedy, and I just didn't. It didn't work for me. The emotions felt so forced, but. Other people like it, so maybe it's just me. I don't know. Um, and I kind of, after that, I kind of also got back into soccer a little bit. I started, or football, however you want to call it. Uh, I started watching. I haven't watched since high school. I kind of abandoned it. I was a big fan in high school, then I stopped. Uh, and I kinda, I'm kind of starting to kind of catch a game or two here and there. Uh, just to, uh, you know, uh, state my appetite, as they say. And that's it for yeah. me. So which which uh, team are you following? Uh, AC Milan. Oh, okay, yeah. Syria A. Syria, Syria, yeah. That, I've always, I mean, mostly Italian soccer. I, that's that's what I, uh, I've watched mostly Champions League, of course. But uh, I didn't realize, like, I was so, 
uh, so removed from it. I, I didn't follow it at all. And I kind of looked up the some of the stats uh, last week. And Real Madrid won three Champions Leagues in a row, like uh, like in the in the recent years. Like, what the hell happened there? <laughs> I kind of wow. I when when I stopped, Barcelona was like at the top of the world. It was the best team ever, or something. It was just, it was kind of tiresome to just see them win everything. And then it turns out that as soon as I stopped, they kind of stopped caring too. I guess. Maybe. I don't know how much you follow or not. I, I still I'm not gonna be like a, a super follower, but I'm just. Gonna try to keep up with it a little bit. I think, yeah, it uh, in Britain it's like a holy religion, and uh, so many people speak about it, so it's hard to escape. Yeah, and I think it's I, th- I think all of Europe is like that. I, I don't think I mean Britain might be a little bit depends on where you are, I guess. But I think like where I grew up, it's also all all over the place. Yeah. Okay, so that is unless you have anything else to add, that it was the. Uh, what we've watched this week. Uh, so I see. Uh, I didn't. I didn't follow. Like we already mentioned, I didn't have time to follow the cinema news much. But you did add something here. So would you like to talk about that? So uh, Japanese Film Festival Plus uh, online uh, offers uh, will be offering a selection of films to different territories around the world from November 2020 to March 2021, and. Uh, Essentially, uh, what happens is, I think around thirty Japanese films, and these vary from stop motion animated shorts to um, live action features, are uh, going to be made available for a period of time. I think it's twenty four hours uh, at at certain dates, and the list of films is really uh, impressive, actually. You've got films like uh, The Great Passage, which is a two-hour drama about the making of a dictionary. It's based on a book by Shion Mura, and it's directed by Yuya Ishii, who also did um, The Tokyo Night Sky is Always the Densest Shade of Blue. And he did All the Things uh, We Never Said, which was at the, I think it was the San Diego Asian Film Festival. And uh, there are other films such as um, A Story of Yonosuke, which is... Uh, about a guy named Yosuke, uh, Yonosuke Yokomichi, uh, who's a really nice guy uh, from the countryside who goes to Tokyo, and he's a positive guy. He has a positive impact on all these different people. But you find out about him from these various people's different um, perspectives. Uh, and then you've got stop-motion animation like Gone the Little Fox, which is a historical drama about a fox who interacts with a human. And um, it's a tragic tale, uh, which tells a um, story of like the animal world and the human world, like trying to communicate but failing. And uh, we've got Little Spider Girl, which is like uh, more in the traditional anime vein, uh, like supernatural creatures and big action. So these films are available online, free to watch, I believe. And uh, the territories that are covered uh, run from Philippines, Malaysia, Thailand to South Korea, United States, uh, Germany, Italy, Spain. But they don't cover the UK or um, Japan. So if you want to find out more, just go to watch.jff.jpf.go.jp and you can find out more about the films and when they're going to be screened. Uh, in previous editions, they've been free. I've mentioned them before uh, with uh, the Music Lab 
um, movies that are like 30 minute shorts. Uh, I'm assuming they're going to be free to view. There's no mention of uh, any cost. Okay. But obviously, uh, people should be very much aware uh, and uh, you know check all the details. Yeah. And be sure to follow uh, our Twitter, uh, the Heroic Purgatory Podcast Twitter, because Jason has been very active in that and he's, he's always updating with, uh, with new information and new events or films that are released or uh, DVDs and Blu-rays and festivals like this. So there's a, lot, there's a lot to gain from following that. And of course, following Jason's uh, personal Twitter as well. I would say follow mine as well, but I'm, I'm, I'm not really doing anything there. So I would appreciate that you're follow, but you're not going to benefit that much from it. Uh, so there's that. But yeah, so but also check our website uh, if you're so inclined, and we'll have that information there too. Okay. Yep. Um, by the time this podcast is released, uh, the festival should be underway. So uh, yeah, if you have any uh, positive experiences with the festival, any films you like, uh, feel free to let us know via um, Twitter or the website. Yeah, that's a great suggestion. Okay, so I think that was it for our. Um, pre-show before we jumped into the main film, which I just realized I forgot to mention it in the introduction of the show, but that's okay, I guess. So uh, the film that we're talking about today is uh, Bong Joon-ho's, make sure I pronounce his name correctly, sophomore feature, uh, Memories of Murder, uh, released in 2003. So as always, Jason, why don't you summarize the plot for us? Okay, so uh, Memories of Murder is director Bong Joon-ho's sophomore feature, as you've previously uh, mentioned. And it's a fictional crime thriller based on a stage play that was inspired by South Korea's first serial killer case, where 10 women were killed during the time period of 1986 to 1991. The film starts in October 1986 with the discovery of a woman's body in a drainage ditch outside of a small village in Korea's, uh, forgive my pronunciation, uh, Gyeonggi province. Evidence shows she was raped and strangled with her own stockings. Rural cops Park Du Man, played by Song Kang-ho, and Cho Yong-koo are on the case, but their investigative methods are poor, as they rely more on tracking suspects through local rumours and beating confessions out of them. Help arrives in the form of Seo Tae-yoon, a younger but more experienced detective from Seoul, who trusts in forensics and research. However, their differing techniques and a series of investigative dead ends puts them repeatedly in conflict and, as the case grinds on, the killings continue, leading the police to pursue uh, increasingly desperate measures to catch the culprit. All right, Jason, thank you very much for that summary. So why don't you tell us when was the first time you saw this film and what did you think of it? So the first time I saw it was on BBC Four in the early two thousands when I was in high school, and uh, I it was I thought it was a brilliant movie. Um, I remember just being really emotional at the end and um, telling my mother about it. And um, ever since then, I've told people that this is a brilliant movie. It's Bong Joon Ho's best. And when Parasite came out, I just I continued that message, repeating that message. I I I can't believe what you're saying because I did exactly the same thing. I'm I'm jumping the gun a little bit here, but that was whenever someone praised Parasite so much, and I'd say it's maybe I mean it's great. Don't get me wrong, Parasite is a good film, and we did mention it a bit last time, I guess, but it's maybe his third 
film, better film. Like, check out Memories of Murder, please. Because that is just so brilliant. What would you say his um, second greatest uh, film is? I mean, that's a bit contested. I think everybody would agree that Memories of Murder is his best. But I would say, in my opinion, that his second best is Mother. Okay, yeah. I, I think I'd agree with that. Yeah, I think that film is... Even Memories of Murder is universally loved. Uh, Mother is... Um, well was well received but i think a little bit forgotten especially since because immediately after that he kind of went to hollywood and kind of i think mother was that at a weird time in his career as he was transitioned to hollywood that i think was a little bit overshadowed but i think mother is just a a, a very very underrated well not <laughs> not underrated because it's well received but i think maybe not does not receive the attention it deserves but i would put it as sec- my estimation it's his second best I think Mother is the only film that I've actually reviewed on my blog. Oh, what did you, how did you characterize it? Uh, I'd have to go back and read oh, the okay. review. <laughs> That's fine. It's, um, I think Memories of Murder was probably his breakout film, especially in the UK. And following that, um, The Host got wide, um, a wide release and it was shown on movie channels. And, um, uh, after that, it was only really Snowpiercer and um, Parasite. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, I um, um, I would say the host. Of course, a good film. Again, not not to bash it, but I would say the host. I feel about the host. The host kind of like the opposite. My emotions are sort of diametrically opposite to what I feel about the ma- mother. I feel like the host received a little bit more attention than it deserved. Uh, it's certainly in my circles and the online circles that I frequent, that seemed to be his most popular movie, or at least his most popular Korean movie before Parasite. And I just, I was a little bit puzzled by that because I didn't think he was that meritorious. Is that even a word? I'm sticking with it. Meritorious. (laughs) But yeah, that was, of course, I I enjoy the host and I've seen it multiple times, but uh, it's just it seemed to me that it maybe and of course a mon- it's easier to sell so I get that I get why it would be it's a monster movie it has special effects and all that so I get why it would be the most popular but maybe I think if I could just change flip the attention that the host received and give it to mother and vice versa I would be that then I would be able to go to sleep happy I suppose like in a decade's time people will be on Twitter <laughs> saying the exact same thing that mother's um its presence would be much more greatly appreciated yeah i i, th- I mean hopefully who knows of course it seems like uh i mean it's possible like after the success of parasite people have kind of gone back uh, and uh the film that we're discussing today memories of murder uh is receiving uh, a theatrical re-release i'm not sure if that made it uk or not yeah it is uh, it has but unfortunately cinemas are closed <laughs> Yeah, due to COVID nineteen, so it's very it's very limited. But it, it also made a Blu Ray re release. I'm pretty sure. Four uh, K uh, release. Four K release. Yes, uh, and uh, and I don't think Mother is getting the same treat- treatment. Although it could potentially just be coming up next. Like maybe they're just going sequentially, one film at a time. They skipped his first film, of course, which I understand. It's a. I have you seen his uh, the uh, Bong's first film, uh, Barking Dogs Never Bite. No, I've only read about it. It it, it is it, it is an interesting film. It's about uh, well, it's sort of a it's a, a little bit complicated to summarize because it's if I remember it correctly, and this is the one Bong film that I've only seen once. 
it's it's good, but I, I wouldn't say somewhat forgettable. And I remember one plot element. There are multiple plot element plot plot lines that sort of converged around the same characters. But I remember just one plot line is about disappearing dogs, whom the main character suspect there's someone who's eating them. Okay. Uh, there's a gender who's like capturing like the neighborhood dogs and cooking them. It's sort of a comedy drama kind of thing. Uh, again, enjoyable, but somewhat forgettable compared compared to what the director w- would go on to do next. Yeah. Okay, so let me just quickly before we get derailed anymore, uh, give a quick summary of my experience with this film. Like you, I watched it in high school, and like you, I thought it was brilliant, and that's just as as succinctly as I can put it. I've seen this film multiple times since then. It's one of my favorites, and it's one of those films that I revisit, if not once a year, at least once every couple of years. Okay, I haven't watched it in um, more than a decade, so it was it was nice to revisit it. Yeah, I think, and I, I, I definitely watched it. I watched it a couple of times, the you know, around the Oscars when Parasite won, because I just kind of wanted to uh, remind myself uh, of, of it as Parasite was kind of making the news. I wrote a review um, to, to kind of relate it, but not quite. I wrote a review about Parasite in Viz Cinema, and uh, of course it was very... Um, a, a, po- a very positive review, but one, my one complaint about Parasite was that it was not very nuanced. I thought it was too heavy-handed. Uh, I compared it to Akira Kurosawa's High and Low. I'm not sure if you've seen that film. Uh, I uh, I don't think I have. Yeah, so I, I, I don't know if I put this in the review, but I went as far, I would go as far as to call it a loose remake of High and Low, a very, very loose remake of High and Low, because they have similar plot lines they have some sort of similar structure uh and they also have sort of similar uh, in a visual aesthetic that sort of uh like high and low does the same thing where height is uh is a metaphor for class for class like the height the 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 vertical position in the city that they live is a is a metaphor for class which uh parasite does the same thing but however the one difference that i pointed out was that i think uh, high and low is a lot more nuanced, whereas I, I felt like Parasite was a very sort of its message was somewhat heavy-handed, and I, I I'm, I'm never for that. And I, I would say that Memories of Murder doesn't have that. I think the the whether it's the character work or the message that the memory, even though with the very clear shout out that it has at the very the final scene that is com- supposedly looking at the murderer directly, Song Kang Kong is looking at the murderer in the audience. And we'll talk about that eventually later, what the implication of that is. I think the rest of the story is a very, very, uh, not, not ambiguous, but a very complex uh, exploration of not only these characters, but the place of these characters in the historical time in the historical and political backdrop of South Korea at the time. Mm-hmm. And that was my final rant about Parasite. I'm not going <laughs> to criticize it any longer. It's just going to be positive from now on, I promise. Okay, well, it's on Amazon Prime right now, both um, the color version and the black and white version. Of, of Parasite? Yeah. I don't think I've seen the black and white version. Uh, hopefully it's on Amazon Prime in the US and uh, you can ha- watch it and See if your opinion changes slightly with a black white version. I mean, I'm, I, I, like I said, I still have a, the highest of opinions for the film. Like I gave it a very positive review. That's just my one criticism, and I don't think, I don't think making it black and white would change. But who knows? Yeah, the it was all story wise. Yeah, exactly. Uh, still, um, 
Okay, so I did mention. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if you had anything to al to else to add to to that to my rant, so to speak. <laughs> no. Okay. I, actually, sadly, Memories of Murder was is not available for streaming anywhere in the U.S. I was uh, I was sad oh. to find that out. Um, so I had to use a DVD for that. Yeah, I I used a DVD I bought um, around the time I first watched it. Yeah, I'm I'm at a point in my life where I'm trying to completely get rid of all physical media. I'm just I'm much more comfortable either owning stuff digitally, and I I understand the problems behind that. Uh, own something digitally that you don't really own it and all that. But I'm still just I I don't like to carry to have DVDs. I I think I've narrowed down my DVD collection to a very small amount. I know I'll never get rid of my luxury collection of Fukasaku's Yakuza papers. Hmm. Uh, uh, five dvd and blu-ray collection i'll have that forever but everything else i'm trying to get rid of so i'm much more comfortable viewing things online but this was not available so it's not available in the uk either okay well that's unfortunate okay so i did mention uh in my sort of uh, why i appreciate i enjoyed this film that this takes place this takes place in the past compared to where when the film was released it takes about 15 years in the past or in the late 80s uh, and of course, the timeline is a bit murky. Exactly when the what what year is it when the 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 past section? Because the film also then fast forwards to two thousand three. But before that, we're not exactly sure what year it is. Uh, the film kind of plays fast and loose with time, but it takes place at a very specific time in Korean history, where uh, we have this military dictatorship, and these murders happen as we tra- as South Korea transitions somewhat peacefully and somewhat in the amidst amidst uh violent protests protests that led to actual deaths uh historically into a democracy and to a, a democratically elected president instead of someone who uh was kind of appointed to that role by the military uh and first of all i just got to say i really love that plot technique where you have a very confined story a very personal story take place within in the backdrop of an important historical event like another example is uh, uh that guillermo de toro film i don't know if you remember it uh the, oh, the devil's backbone no no the spanish civil war yeah 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 Which, what's the title of that one pan's labyrinth yes. yeah so that is a, a fantasy story that takes place in the backdrop of the spanish oh actually after the spanish civil war is spain is finally transitioning into their uh fascist regime um Hmm. And this is done the same thing, and I just I just love that plot technique. It's not used very often, but I I, I always appreciate when it does. But so anyway, just to, to get to to the to the specific about this film, what do you think of that? What do you think of the juxtaposition between these brutal murders, which are uh, allegedly South Korea's first serial murder case, at least as far as the police knows, and that sort of historical that uh, period of that what was happening in South Korean politics and society at the time? I thought it was a useful, uh, a really interesting way to get into some social commentary about how the police were used by the authorities uh, and how they were viewed by the citizenry. So that added um, contours to the characterization. And it also um, added sort of uh, plot twists, uh, such as when cops were... um, sequestered to put down student uprisings so the serial killer could strike again because no one was on his tail yeah 
and of course it's heartbreaking when um, the one officer loses his leg but it's sort of not directly because of the protest but it's sort of related mm, yeah it's uh in a scuffle involving students yeah yeah and of course it's it's that uh what's that guy's name the one who's mentally disabled ah um da, da, da. It it doesn't matter at this point. If 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 we remember, we'll mention it. But you know, it, it he is the one that finally kind of like he's just a, a innocent bystander in a case who just sees the chaos and just tries to imitate people, and then just end up like uh, sticking a rusty nail into that officer's leg. But it is in the middle of of a, sort of a few people fighting because the police are violent. Yeah, and there's a news report on the television about um, a police detective uh, who. Uh, what uh, assaulted uh, people and um, yeah, sexually abused people. So it, it adds to the sense of um, critiquing the government and um, its use of force. But the uh, um, intellectually disabled guy is a bike, Quang Ho, and he's initially um, suspected as being the killer. Yes. And I thought, uh, to just to, talk, to kind of follow up on what you mentioned about the police, I thought it's a very interesting parallel or metaphor if you want to call it that i think it's safe to say that in this film we identify with the police and we even sympathize with them you might not agree with what they do but you sort of you you for the most most of the film you you see things from their perspective and you really want them to catch the murderer because you've seen you know the terrible these terrible atrocities that are being committed by this one person presumably uh to these women and and you want them so so of course you may not agree with police brutality but you kind of you kind of feel like yeah i and even and even the second policeman um what's his name uh, uh Cho young ku no i mean the the new guy that comes from the city oh from seoul um yeah. seo taiyun seo taiyun at, at first he is he is very against what the song kang ho's character is doing in terms of planning evidence and beating uh, guys, but even he in the end says, "I just we just need a confession." He says, "I'll just beat him up," and in the end, he tries to kill him. So you just, I, I feel like the audience, he's most closer to the audience in this respect because he's like the audience comes from a faraway place into this new environment, trying to understand this new place and these new characters. And I feel, I feel like he represents the audience in that he may not necessarily agree with the. Uh, with the brutality and the beatings, for example, and the torture, but in the end, he just wants to get it done. We just finally want to see to see uh, the murderer caught, and that's like the you kind of feel for that moment that the police is using these extreme means for a good cause, and I think that's a great parallel to you know any kind of dictatorship. I'm sure at any dictatorship that have done that have committed terrible atrocities there are some people and maybe even the people at the top that think that this is just a necessary evil that they have to commit for for the better the uh, the um, the greater good the greater good i thank you for i was blanking on that phrase it's all about the greater good the greater good how can this be for the greater good the greater good how can this be for the greater good? The greater good. Shut it! And you know, like for example, in South Korea, you know, the military dictatorship was there to, to because there was an imminent, at least in the in the eyes of many people, there was an imminent attack from the communists in the north, and maybe from even from China in their uh, in the west. 
so so that like whatever they did the tortures that the the because you know that's one thing that the, the military dictatorship was known for for like torturing a lot of their citizens that they were perceived as traitors or enemies of the state you know those terrible things were perceived as for the greater good for keeping the country safe and i think the police's action which is a very local thing with this grand government i think they parallel each other very well yeah i think it's also a testament to the acting as well but we feel like um, they they remain they are sympathetic throughout the movie uh, because there's um, the tonal shifts that uh, Bong Joon Ho uses uh, lots of comedy yeah uh, to sort of uh, lessen the impact of the violence I suppose uh, and um, we we actually feel it almost feels like we're in the struggle with them to catch the serial killer who is depicted as just a horrendous person. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you know the fact that we uh, we are so removed and we never get closure in the end just makes him even more horrendous than what he might be in real life. Yeah, uh, yeah. The general, like, apart from uh, Cho Yongku, who's continually drop kicking people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The the other cops, they have some positive qualities to them, and I suppose Cho Yongku is probably like representative of the worst aspects more violent tendencies of the dictatorship you but even he is likable at some point because i think the film makes it very clear without without being too heavy-handed about it that he was just you know there's nothing else that he can do this is his only value he's not he was not particularly smart he's not particularly good at any other job and you know they're just you know he can he can be a heavy and you know the system is exploiting that that element of his personality and, and you know you in the end you feel for him because you know he's not going to be able to to do anything else after he loses his leg yeah i think um if bong joon ho uh states that yeah, he represents career in the 80s which is ignorant and masculine and so to your point that um say uh taeyoon the cop from seoul is uh so uh the provides the audience's perspective uh, that's absolutely true because he's closer to what we think of as a detective as opposed to like the bumbling cops in the countryside yeah and speaking of the acting i have to say song kang ho i i mean it's overstating it but song song kang ho is such a great actor um uh, there are some genuinely funny funny moments in this film that are almost entirely due to him uh, he is one of the few actors that I know that just, and not just in this film, you know, just looking at his whole career, that can just switch so effortlessly between drama and comedy. He's done, he has such a wide range. It's not, and it's not just that, because there are a lot of actors who can do comedy, but he is, he can, he is genuinely funny in his comedies. He does not need to rely on a funny script, although that certainly helps. He can just his his physical comedy. He's so good at it that he can just genuinely carry the comedy in a scene that some other actor would probably not be able to do. And at the same time, he can also really do that heavy drama that is required in a film like this or in any other film that he's done. Well, watching the extras on a DVD I've got um, seems like there's a lot of improvisation on the set and. He could uh, read a line in multiple ways, and uh, Bong Joon Ho would take the best, the most effective line reading. 
And when you see this process, there's a lot of laughter as he's uh, making uh, one-liners out of what might ordinarily be boring bits of dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's brilliant. And it's he has, I mean, I don't know if, if you would agree with this or not, but he has that kind of goofy face about him that you it's think... Big, broad yeah. grin and expressive eyes. Yeah. And it's, you think, you know, that's a perfect fit for the comedy. And you, then you're surprised when he can actually do drama so well. Uh, he yeah. can do anger. He can just do. He can. He, he's one of the most versatile actors in the world. The only one. I mean, I'm sure there are others, but w- another one that I can sort of think of that can do uh, can be as can have the same ri- range is Brian Cranston. Okay. Who did he uh, did he went from Malcolm in the Middle to Breaking, to Breaking Bad. Bad? That yeah. just that and he he was excellent in both. And I just uh, I don't think he's as versatile as Song Kang Ho, but still that's impressive. Yeah. Was it um, a lot of the cast in this film, um, including the two countryside detectives uh, played by Song Kang Ho and um, Kim Roy Ha? Let's see, Kim Roy Ha, who is also in um, A Bittersweet Life. Yeah, yeah. He's, I mean, generally, if you've after you've watched Korean cinema enough, you kind of start to recognize his faces because it's at least at 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 least at this time period in the early two thousands, it wasn't that big of an industry. So the same actors are kind of recycled in movie after movie after movie. Yeah, yeah, and uh, they're actually part of a theater acting group. Uh, they've been working for ten years together already. Who who are you referring to? Um, Song Kang Ho, Kim Roy Ha. Oh, and, interesting. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, some of the um, extras or some of the actors in supporting roles, uh, including um, the second suspect. Uh, and they've been uh, at least 10 years together. Okay. Before they made that film. And you can see the chemistry. I mean, everybody in this sort of, in this uh, uh, in this film kind of clicks together in how, how their interactions are. With the only possible de- uh, uh, exception of the detective that is coming from Saul, but then I feel like that's intentional because he... Yeah, he's an outsider. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you do feel like this uh, strong sense of community of these people. <laughs> the, uh, one step removed from what we would... Uh, uh, from the city life that uh, Seo Taeyung uh, yeah. is more familiar with. And it's as someone who actually grew up in the country, it felt, of course... You know, a European countryside with an Eastern South Korean countryside may be completely different, but I can sort of uh, familiar, feel familiar the vibes, like you know something as silly as you know just a, a tractor going over the the evidence because they just is just a villager doing going about his business. Like I, I can literally see that something like that happening in the village that I grew up. And so I, I, <laughs> this definitely feels lived in and and accurate. Absolutely. Okay, so um, so we said that this film starts at about 1986. Yeah, 1986. I f- um, I'm, I think on-screen text at the beginning does state that it's 1986. But um, uh, like the synopsis on the DVD case and uh, on IMD, uh, Wikipedia state it's 1986 as well. Oh yeah, I mean that 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 sounds familiar. But sort of the the film does an interesting thing with the time that it feels from watching it, it feels that the events from that starting point till the almost the end of the film happen in a relatively short amount of time. But the real case happened over the span of a five five year period. 
Uh, yeah. And I feel like the film is intentionally constricting the time down as to emphasize at how much, how big part of these detectives' lives this, even though other things may be going on, not in only in their lives, but the country. And I think that's that's where we get a hint that more time has passed than it's indicating by, you know, initially it looks like it's a quiet village and then the protest starts and then the protests end and... You know, they they do mention months like, you know, like they found this a few months ago and then a few months later and stuff like that. Uh, where, But it's it's not clear to, to tell how much time has passed because this part of their lives has dominated, uh, the, this, this, uh, this, this series of murders have, has dominated the detectives' lives so much that nothing else matters. Yeah, these are probably uh, some of their most defining memories and it's, really comes out with that final shot of Song Kang Ho looking out at the, uh, at the uh, screen. Uh, speaking of which, I mean, many years have passed. Song Kang Ho looks the same, didn't you think? Like, they didn't they didn't really try to age him at all in that uh, makeup. He's, he was wearing glasses and he has a different hairstyle, but he's he pretty much looks, he's, <laughs> looks the same. I d- I d- he's, he slouches a lot. He's got more weight when he's younger. Uh, he, he's put on more weight when he's younger. Um, he's much more slovenly, slobbish. Uh, and he seems like to have matured. And he's now a father figure. And um, when he was at the at the breakfast table, I thought, oh, maybe they'd uh, put grey in his hair. But um, when you actually see him in the final scene, he uh, looks mostly the same. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. Just meant. a bit thinner, and um, yeah. I wonder. I wonder if they shot them at like if they like uh, did the final shot like a few months later or something. Mm, it's a, it was a six month shoot. Um, so during that process, um, Song Kang Ho put uh, on weight to portray the younger character, um, and the detective from Seoul, who's. Uh, Played by Kim Sang Kyung. Well, Kim, he uh, stopped eating so much and he stopped sleeping so much so he could um, convey the sense of a person really consumed by the case, really becoming obsessed with it. Yeah, and it, it definitely shows on him. Like he looks definitely, the, uh, he looks more sleep deprived at the end, uh, assuming they shot the film chronologically. Well, yeah, it's like uh, like uh, almost animalistic the way he's behaving at the end, which is a complete contrast to how he's introduced as the sort of big city detective who's a bit more civilized yeah and he looks he's even a little bit more funny in the beginning because he's just you know he gets in trouble because he is asking instructions from that lady and he's get, get gets beaten up by song kang ho's character yeah he's also kind of like nonchalant you you can see him in the background your your attention's in the foreground but when you look to the background you see him he's often smirking or shaking his head yeah yeah absolutely absolutely uh, so the the like you mentioned in your summary, the film's plot is based on a real set of uh, a real serial killer in in um, in South Korea, which was not caught. Well, uh, that that's a bit of that's a bit complicated. He was not identified at the time of the film's release, but he was actually in jail for a different for a completely unrelated crime. At, at this time so it's it's arguable whether he even saw the film depending because he was serving life sentence for killing his yeah. sister or something like that it was his sister-in-law it was a rape and murder and he confessed to those 10 murders and, and a 
bunch of others that were never caught. Yeah, in 2019, so very recently. Hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, but so this film uh, gets uh, is accurate to a, a certain extent. Uh, and then take some dramatic licenses. Of course, that's expected. For instance, the real killer did not only kill young women, he, he also killed older women. Um, I th- yeah, I think the oldest was 71 years old. Something like that. Yeah, he, he just killed w- women. Uh, in, the, in the real case, uh, it was, uh, for a part, it was uh, suspected that the murders happened uh, on, on rainy days and uh, with women wearing red dress, but then that was later abandoned as it turned out not to be the case. Um, mm. What else? Uh, yeah, so the the guy that turned out to be the killer was never a suspect uh, in the original case, at least from what I've read. Uh, and that's amazing because they, they massed up as many as 22,000 suspects for this. And another, so so the film, um, the manner of crimes, the film uh, it portrays accurately. One thing that, is, as far as I can read, did not really happen was that the police devoted a lot of resources into catching this, uh, into stopping this crime. So there was, it's unlikely that there was a shortage of men, uh, like it's portrayed on the movie. Yeah, that's probably a specific political critique. Absolutely, yeah. So that's that's, and I'm I'm okay with that. But I think in the, in the at least in the Wikipedia article, it says that as many as two two million police officers were delegated to the case, which is incredible. Yeah, I I think the case happened. Uh, well, the, it was ongoing when uh, a new uh, prime minister or president came into power, and he announced a war on crime, and the serial killer struck again, and it was like seen as taunting. Uh, the president at the time, yeah. but um, uh, Bong Joon Ho actually contacted the detective who investigated the case and one of the journalists who covers it, and um, he got all sorts of details. And um, uh, on the DVD extras, you can see that he's got actual crime scene photographs. I think. Oh, I, I don't think I've seen the DVD extras. I should probably check them out. Yeah, it's uh, the edition I've got is um, Optimum Asia. From 2004. Okay. So yeah, it's a source of uh, a lot of information. Yeah, that'll be that's great. I'll, I'll see if I can find them on YouTube too, because that would be great. That's a great research resource. Hmm. It's only a, about a five minute interview, but you can see a, a young Bong Joon Ho, and um, you can find out background on the film. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you make? Uh, what statement do you think Bon Joon Ho is making with that fi- with that final shot? So, two questions: What statement do you think he's making with that final shot? And what statement do you think he's making with the phrase that is kind of like the last line of the film, where it says, where he asks that little girl, "What is he like?" And he just says, "He was just ordinary." Uh, I think I take the uh, like the common view, which is that you know, he's searching, like it's a way of searching the audience. Like he throughout the film, he says he's got eyes. Like he relies on his eyes to be able to tell who the suspect is, and it's kind of like challenging the audience. Like is the person next to us? Uh, uh, could they possibly be a murderer? Um, and perhaps it's um, an indictment of the way men treat women, in the sense that throughout the film, the the female characters 
are really sidelines. I did write that down in my personal note that I think it's, I'm not sure what to make of it, but I did uh, find it interesting that the most of the film is a bunch of men investigating crimes on women. It's like, I think it's the one of two, two things I felt were most revealing was one where you had the, uh, I think it was an autopsy, which immediately cut to uh, uh, meat on a grill. Yeah. <laughs> Some of like those a, cuts are, are very, very unusual. But it's kind of like the sense that, like, for these guys, like, uh, women are a little more than meat, I suppose, that they're not taking them seriously. And um, that's emphasized with the female police officer, who's the one who creates a lot of really great leads. Yeah, and she is still getting coffee for everybody. Yeah, they dismiss her. Very, very, yeah, throughout the whole time. And even at some point, just to, to uh, come a hammer on the metaphor, she's used as literal bait. Yeah. Which was actually done. That was one thing that, that uh, the film represented accurately. That was actually done in the real case. Okay. Um, so uh, to get back to sort of the original statement that you made about Song Kang-ho looking at the ad- audience with his... Uh, I want to use the phrase signature stare as it's as he mentioned it multiple times in the film. Mm. Um, uh, uh, but then I I've read that and I kind of agree with it. But it's also I think it's maybe intentionally contradictory because that that ability of his is intentionally made fun of in the film multiple times, and and I've always took it to represent kind of again paralleling the. South Koreans government at the time they would just grab anyone who looked in, I'm, I'm doing quotes with my hands looked like a dissident and then put them in a jail for you know years at a time and torture them with no real evidence other than they were suspected to be enemies and communist sympathizers and whatnot and sort of that I, I, that uh, that self-prescribed ability that he has always took it to sort of represent that and that is intentionally ridiculed in the film until the very end when he lets go uh, their primary suspect because he looks at him intently for many times and just just can't he admits that he can't tell but then he uses that stare again to the audience saying that I can't see you and I just I'm not sure what to quite quite what to make of that contradiction within the film yeah that, and uh just to emphasize what uh you said like you see it with the first suspect and it in it's common in uh, in cases of bad policing where they'll just pick up the outsider or someone who's different and frame them. Uh, like with regards to um, looking out into the audience, it's like a sense of sadness. Uh, all those years, like the case is still unsolved. And um, for the audience, that will it will probably uh, be a major part of their memories as well growing up with the first serial killer and the person still at large. So the stare evokes the, that feeling. Yeah, absolutely. You, you can sort of see that, you know, uh, as, um, as Korea kind of becomes a more modernized country from a place that didn't have serial killers, now it's a place that, you know, it's perhaps democratic i'm not sure, i'm not sure where i'm going with this but it's you know it, it, it just had a huge transformation but it also uh, maybe that meant that it had to sacri- to sacrifice some of its innocence perhaps um mm. i'm not sure it went from like you know a predominantly rural community to to a place with serial killers like the u.s for instance which you know serial killers mm. have been around for a long time uh maybe like a, a pr- 
primal call from the past, which is remembered. Like, however modern people think they are, that it, that past still lurks in the background. Uh, okay, and, and sort of just to go uh, to go back to again my question. So that was, um, so I agree with that. But then there's the other part where he asked the little girl what did he look like, and he says she just looks ordinary. And I feel like that's a point that the film is trying to make. Like the first couple of suspects were anything but ordinary, like you mentioned. They were the outsiders. One of them was uh, someone severely mentally disabled who dies tragically in the film. That's also a very sad scene. Um, mm. And the second one is a what you might qualify as a pervert, someone who hasn't done anything wrong, but he maybe doesn't fit into conventional society because of that, even though he is an upstanding citizen in all other regards. Uh, but the final subject that they have, who seems to be, at least the film is implying, is the one who's most likely to be the, although we never get an, act- an answer actually, is a very normal person, a, a handsome young man who is who has a decent job. Who's I'm not sure if he's if the films I don't remember if the film states that he's just graduated from university or he's taking a break from university or something like that. I think he just completed his military service and moved to the town. Yeah, something like that. He is a, a normal citizen and and it's someone. Um, and you know, and he he turns out to be the one who's most likely to to be this killer. And I think the film in the end makes the case that evil is in all of us. And that could be for murderers, but they're again going back to the dictatorship that any normal government that seems just can actually has, a, a has injustice within itself, just like we all have injustice within us. And I think that's what the point that Bon Ju Ho uh, he's trying to make with a girl saying he just looked ordinary, uh, but I feel like when the final, when the fi- real killer was finally caught, I, f- I feel like that backfired because the the real person turned out to be anything but ordinary. He raped something like forty women. He was convicted for robbery. He was a very unstable person. He was just something, someone who, in my opinion, got lucky not to have been caught for those for those serial um, murders that he committed. Absolutely. So I, th- I I think it's just a bit ironic, but I don't necessarily think that lessens the point that the film is trying to make. I just think that it's historically turned out to be a little bit uh, not quite what maybe Bon John Ho was trying to drive across. Because that was, uh, sorry to go on about this a bit more, but that was a valid assumption that the reason they didn't call the serial murderer, uh, murderer was because he didn't have anything about him that made him stand out. Uh, and that's a very valid assumption. Uh, yeah, during the film, um, Song Kang Ho's character um, repeats a couple of times that no uh, normal people are usually perverts. They usually have something to hide, and uh, also like that he looked normal. Um, as you said, it uh, opens up the idea that any one of us could be capable of acting that way. Yeah, and I mean, this point has been made multiple times throughout film and literature, especially when it comes to, for instance, you know, um, uh, the Nazi party. Um, oh, it's like evil is very banal. Type of yeah, exactly. That's a familiar comment. And I, I just, I did, I, I really appreciate how Bon Joon Ho took a, that very universal theme and just kind of shaped it in such a specific story so well uh, that it just works. <laughs> Well, just to go back to like audition, a lot of these guys are acting out sort of the masculine uh, behavior of the time, and um, the fact that women suffer so much, you know, comes out in the film. And so, sort of, like as a male member of the audience, it, you know, it does challenge you. 
Well, it does challenge me. <laughs> yeah. I did write down in my notes that there are similarities. And I, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's very profound to say that there are similarities between this film and Zodiac, uh, David Fincher's Zodiac, which came out just a few years after this. Uh, not only in content, but also in form. And in fact, like the, the exact same line is in Zodiac about what did he look like? He just looked ordinary or plain, however you want to put it. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I thought I thought I thought that's a very very uh, I, that must have been intentional on behalf of David Fincher. I I can't believe he didn't he included that line and that was just a coincidence. He's uh, very illiterate, but I I couldn't find any reference he made to Memories of Murder. But you're right. Um, apart from the fact that Memories of Murder is a police procedural and um, Zodiac's more like journalistic investigation, you see. Uh, a, a group of characters find themselves find their lives is uh, consumed by a serial killer, which who gained national prominence, and it elapses over uh, a number of years. And you see, um, with Memories of Murder, you see much more of the social details, uh, the society these characters come from. That's much more of a backdrop than in um, Zodiac. Yeah, and I th I think that's true. Um, and I think, uh, just to, to hammer on the similarities a little bit more, um, I think, don't quote me on this, I could be wrong, but I remember reading that even before either film was released, the the South Korean serial murderer, this case, I, I, don't, I forget what the name of the town that it was named after, uh, but it was often compared to the Zodiac murderer. But even before the films that kind of like are linked together artistically, so that's that's yet another point of similarity between these two. Mm, interesting. Yeah, and I, I like like you already mentioned, uh, in both films contain characters that are uh, that their life is consumed by these by the pursuit of these crimes or these criminals to be exact, and both of them get to the point where it seems like. The, it becomes a personal object, ob, ob, obsession uh, where they're no longer concerned with you know this notion of justice or just catching the crime and that might also in, in memories that might also uh, linked with the object, object, objectification of women uh, where it becomes a, a little bit more uh, they feel personally affected or fooled by this criminal rather than you know the objective harm that these criminals are doing uh, if that makes any sense at all but I think both both those films have that in common. Um, I do think Memories of Murder is a bit more subtle on that approach, whereas in uh, Zodiac, that's kind of full frontal. Uh, clearly, you can see Jake G Gyllenhaal's character obsessed. He d his life destroy is destroyed. Uh, or at yeah, least his wife walks out on him. Yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, in, in Memories, it's, he's more resigned. And in the end, he just gives up. And, you know, it's, it's, never, it's never not part of him because we see in the end how he's just... Uh, uh, sullen when he visits that first uh, death site, but he's moved on with his life. At least he's able to have a semblance of a normal life. Yeah, it's like I can imagine, like maybe it's representative of South Korean society that they've moved on, but that case still haunts them. It's something they still have to deal with. Yeah, they've adapted to a new life. Now he's a no longer government worker. He's a businessman. He sells fruit juices. No, no, what is he what is he selling? Uh, it's like a fruit juicer, yeah. Uh, yeah, like a extractor or something. It's like crushes stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's just funny. He's sitting in the van with, uh, like, just like I don't know, making fun of some executive that he's about to sell to or something. 
like a very typical uh, modern Korea, essentially just, you know, business driven, leading the world, the world in technology and stuff. Well, he's a um, complete contrast to what that country bumpkin who's full of swagger that you first meet. Yeah, absolutely. So it's like the country modernizing. Yeah, who couldn't read English uh, or, you know, like faked a shoe a print. Uh, and now he's like has English in his uh, labels of his product. Well, just to go back to Song Kang Ho's performance when he's giving um, the presentation to the um, is it the prosecutor, and he's laboring over every sentence that he reads from the whiteboard. Yeah, I mean, he, and he's, he hasn't even like. Of course, they might not even have slides like the old uh, project over overhead slides that they used to have. But he just has like a like a simple uh, board with a bunch of papers hanging from it and just like flips them over. Uh, yeah. It's very funny. And you can definitely see that uh, So, the, the the detective from So, he's just sitting in the back, completely bored. And even the inspector or the prosecutor, who, what, what is he? Uh, he's too, he's bored, clearly bored from that presentation. He could be like the chief. Um, like, he's something like that, either pr- the prosecutor or the chief, because there was another chief in the beginning of the movie and then he kind of disappears later on. Yeah, I, I like I like that sequence for like the point of view shot where you get of the newspapers and it's kind of like oh this guy is really intent on what the press is saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Even though that sort of, sort of aspect of the story gets dropped, but one of the um, deleted scenes, there are a number of deleted scenes from the film, and uh, one of them shows the Seoul City cop, uh, Detective Seal, uh, like. It's just before you go to 2003, and um, Song Kang Ho's character, uh, he walks out. He walks into the interrogation room, pats uh, Detective Seo on the back, and walks out. And there's a light flickering, and Detective So is like obsessing over the lights, and the camera slowly uh, pushes in on it or zooms in on him. And um, it cuts between a flickering lamp and a detective. And uh, you can see a, a person appear behind him and a hand on his shoulder. And he looks back uh, at like a point of view shot. Uh, and it's supposed to be um, representative of like some great evil that still exists out there, which he was never able to catch. And that's uh, he's like a broken man at the very end. I mean, it's it's a very revealing scene, but I'm kind of glad they removed it because it kind of it keeps the ambiguity. I think. Yeah, I, yeah, the ambiguity is uh, needed, especially for the third suspect. Um, if you just uh, pigeonhole him as a, a pervert or a murderer, he'd be uh, less interesting, and it'd be less. Uh, well, it wouldn't be representative of real life either. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. And I I like how the film is right on the line where they're just we're just about sure that he is just like the characters are, just like the detective from Seoul is. But there's just like one thing just to make us feel a hundred percent sure, and that I think that makes all the difference. If they made it, if they made him look a little bit more guilty or a bit le- less guilty, I don't think it would work. Uh, but just like they, 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 that's exact sweet spot that I think just works so well in this film. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, so, um, 
one thing, uh, a minor, another minor issue that I kind of wanted to talk about, uh, and I mentioned in the beginning that uh, November is uh, is noir noir November, uh, and we celebrate film noir. Would you classify this as a noir film? I I, I suppose it has elements of noir. It's like cynicism and um, exposing corruption. Uh, but I I see it as a police procedural. Well, noir does have that element sometimes, the police procedural element, uh, especially like the detective detective procedural, so to speak. When I think of noir, I think of like um, Robert Mitchum in uh, Big Steep or Farewell, uh, Farewell My Lovely or Farewell My Darling. Uh, Farewell My Lovely was the Mitchum 70s one, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But there was another, there's a couple more adaptations of that in the 40s, I think, or either 40s or 50s. So yeah, I, I just I just like noir has that certain aesthetic. I, I'm more inclined to see it as uh, uh, memories of murder as a police procedural. I, I think so too. I do I do still think that this does have elements of noir in it, particularly sort of like the the more dark tones and the police part of the police procedure are, are not necessarily uh, mutually exclusive with uh, with noir. Um, and you know another thing that kind of points to it is the how the color scheme of the film shifts throughout the film, where it starts as a bright place in a in a cornfield or whatever that is, and it just becomes grayer and grayer as the film progresses. And I think that's not exactly noir, but that's very noirish. Uh, that's a very noirish aesthetic. Um, I was recently, uh, I was recently in, uh, I, not, not very recently, a couple of months ago, I was a guest in another podcast where we talked about old boy. And I think that's a little bit more identifiable in noir, but, uh, we talked about how a lot of, uh, sort of, uh, films in the Korean re- Renaissance or the new Korean cinema, as they call this post 21st century period where Korean cinema has kind of become very popular to the West, has been dominated, or at least a lot of the most popular films have been noir or had, had noir element, uh, and how a lot of scholars have kind of have kind of uh, dismissed that because uh, one key element in film noir is the femme fatale, and a lot of Korean films that can be classified as noir, uh, including this one, including Old Boy, if you classify it, uh, do not have that femme fatale element. And uh, we argued uh, in that podcast that it doesn't have a femme fatale, but you can have something equivalent called the homme fatale or the fatal man. Uh, uh, And I don't think this movie has quite that, whereas Old Boy definitely has it. So in Old Boy, it would be the guy that set up, is it Oh Dai Su? No, it would be the bad guy. So Lee Lee Woo Jin. Is he the person? The rich. The rich person. With his sister. Yes, yes. Yeah, okay, so he's the home fatale. Yes, uh, where this film doesn't quite... So, so, And I think because of that, that's why Old Boy, for instance, fits closer into the noir genre. And I think Bon Yoon-ho's next... Well, two films after this, Mother, I also feel like that fits into the noir genre well, or at least has stronger elements of the noir genre, whereas uh, this one is... I think it's a little bit farther removed, though it certainly takes inspiration from that genre. I think uh, there's an investigative element to Mother as she's trying to prove her son's innocence. Yeah. Um, this one, like, what we're sort of immersed in is the sense of frustration as the investigations keep hitting dead ends. The obsession. Yeah, that that creates the obsession to actually crack the case and you you understand when cops want to turn to violence. 
I, I don't know if you've seen um uh it's a Dutch film from the eighties called The Vanishing. Uh I haven't seen it, but I've read about it. It's about the guy whose girlfriend disappears at a rest stop and he actually encounters the kidnapper. Yeah, so I mean yeah, well that happens towards the end, but the entire film is about him being obsessed with finding out what happened. Uh, to his girlfriend and by the end we kind of realized that he no longer cares for her as a person he just cannot live with not knowing what happened to her he just becomes obsessed with knowledge and i feel like something we already uh, uh, went over this a little bit but i kind of feel like that's what's happening here they become obsessed with knowing who the killer is and what happens and not necessarily so so much as stopping them although that de- definitely is part of it like when the uh, when Sio, the soul detective, uh, finally sees the death of the girl at the end. Yeah, the one, like, the one character he actually tries, he sparks up a friendship with. Yeah, and of course, that had happened because this is still a South Korean film, so you've got to have an element of melodrama there. That's can be helped, but, but it's still... So there is an element of caring there, but it, there's so much of it that is just obsession, especially maybe more so in Song Kang-ho's character than, than the detective from Seoul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like um, a challenge to their authority, which they have to um, try and overcome. And uh, what you said really um, goes back to how the women are treated. Like they're not so interested in their personal lives. It's more let's. I'm going to crack the case using my methods, and that that competition informs a lot of the film. Yeah, and the guy who uh, who loses leg, a Chong Detective Cha. Uh, a few uh, times, sure. yeah, a few times when he attacks the uh, suspects, it's because they talk back to him. Yeah, well, yeah, the third suspect stands up and then he gets a flying kick. Yeah, and even because of that, and even when that fight, that fatal fight that gets him uh, stabbed in the leg, it's because they talked back to him. It's not, you know, they didn't. They didn't do anything to arguably deserve. He wasn't even, even if you, in, in a world where you accept violence as a valid interrogative technique, it's not even that many times. He's just, he just can't, doesn't, he feels like he loses, he's losing his authority in one way or another. And that's his response to it. And again, that's another aspect. Like you said, he's a, he's a, the typical representation of the 80s South Korean male men, but he's also a, uh, the representation of the government, and of course, there's a lot of parallels too, because often governments uh, are the result of uh, our collective culture and mentality. You do actually see him beating up a, f- a female protester, students. At some point, yeah, yeah, he dra- he drags her by, but he pulls her hair or something in that scene, right? Yeah, there's like a big riot going on, and he drags her away and kicks her, and the one, the first person to speak out against detectives in general. In the um, restaurant scene where he gets the nail in the leg, is a woman. Yeah, he says uh, they should get their dicks cut off or something like that. I think that's her line. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and even, uh, and, and I think adding a little bit quite nuance when the third suspect, the young man, what's his name? Is um, it uh, Park Hai Il? Yeah. So the, yeah, the, the the one who he, who he, the final suspect, the handsome guy. Yeah, the handsome guy. Right. Yeah. Uh, he even like one of his first words is also what you're gonna beat me up like you beat up innocent people. I refuse to be all that. the school kids. No, you torture people. Yeah, exactly. So he he is uh, a part of the resistance in a sense. He's part of the 
the new generation that are are gonna uh, that are he's protesting in that scene in his own way. So in a sense, he he's identifying with uh, with the protesters outside, and we kind of we kind of get a glimpse of what the the establishment feels towards them by Detective Cho's punching him and not being able to tolerate uh, what he's actually saying, which is true. You know, however, whether or not he is the killer, what he's saying at that moment is actually true and fair. And when the prosecutor or the, the chief or whatever he is uh, says, don't hit him, don't hit him, he's not necessarily concerned with the guy's well-being. He just doesn't want the press to, to find out later. Yeah, the press are always around here. Uh, his name's Sergeant Sh- uh, Shin Dong Chul, so he's the superior officer. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Yeah that that scene where the I wonder if he was a stuntman or the real actor when he kicks him and he falls off the stairs. The stairs. Yeah, that yeah. he almost that painful. That does look painful. And he almost hits his head. Although I'm I'm assuming there is some protective cushioning there. But that was I, I would be impressed if that was the actual actor that did that stunt instead of stuntman because I. I I guess I have to go back and look at it, but I'm pretty sure we see his face. And then I don't remember if he cuts back further back or it's the same shot. So that would be that would be impressive if it was the actor. Yeah. It's a concrete st- stairs and floor. And he goes down quite a few. Yeah, yeah, and he almost hits his head in the back wall. That is that is incredible. Okay, so and I, is there anything else that we you feel like we should discuss about the film? Uh, any other discussion topics that we haven't delved into? Uh, I suppose uh, the music by Taro Iwashiro was really fantastic. Yeah, it's it's uh, it doesn't necessarily stand out, but it it blends with the emotions of the film very well. And it peaks during the chase sequence where they find the uh, second suspect in the field. Yeah, and that ending theme is also pretty, pretty poignant really, at the yeah, end. Yeah, moving. Yeah, it kind of. I feel like whenever he stares, and then the music just kind of intensifies, and he goes to a higher note. Um, like I think it's a trumpet. I don't know, a violin, something like that. I'm not. I'm not great with identifying instruments, uh, but I feel like that just intensifies the emotion that he has as he. Uh, looks towards the audience. The music does a lot in that particular shot. Absolutely. And of course, it 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 doesn't hurt to repeat how a, a wonderful actor Song Kang Ho is. Uh, no, yeah, he's a brilliant actor in this. Okay, a- a- anything else? Uh, no, uh, that's it, I think. So um, I, I have written down here, and we can just briefly talk about it because I don't think there's much to talk about, but... Uh, um, so this film came out in 2003 and it won uh, a few of the top Grand Bell Awards, which is, well, Korea has several uh, important award ceremonies, but I think this is maybe the oldest one and the most important. Uh, and it's sort of uh, their Oscars equivalent. Although you can also make the argument that the Blue Dragons are those because that that's also an important award ceremony. And there's also the Korean Film Awards, which is also an important Korean film ceremony. They have They have a lot of awards. Um, that they consider important. But in the Grand Bell, this won Best Film, Best Director, and Best Actor for Song Kang-ho. And it's important to point out that the Grand Bell Awards are held in June, and this film came out, so in June of 2003 in this case, and this movie came out in the earlier part of 2003, so it was not competing with movies like Old Boy, um, uh, Memories of... Uh, no, with... Um, 
uh, a tale Springs, of two sisters, the tale of two sisters, and Spring, Summer, Fall, which came out later, and they were uh, they would be celebrated in the next Grand Bell Awards. Yeah. Oh, and Wishing Stays. In what part of Whispering Corridor series? Oh, Wishing okay. Stays, uh, which I have not seen. I still need to re- to visit that uh, franchise. Yeah, it was released in a four DVD set. Okay, it's a fifth movie out there as well. Okay. Okay. Um, I, it's also worth pointing out, since I mentioned the awards, like 2003 was a fantastic year for Korean cinema. The, the films that were released that year kind of catapulted it to international attention. Uh, mm. And that's Memories of Murder, 2003, Old Boy, 2003, A Tale of Two Sisters, 2003, and Spring, Summer, Fall, Winter, and Spring, also 2003. That's a great lineup. Yeah, and then there's other ones that are less well-known, but also great. So Silmito is one of them, also 2003, a great film. Um, uh, Save the Green Planet, a, a science fiction comedy. Uh, not I as not do- that. Uh, doesn't have uh, the same international appeal, but a very funny movie, of also 2003. Uh, I think The Classic also came out in 2003. Yeah, The Classic came out in 2003. It's sort of like a romantic uh, Korean drama. Uh, not, yeah. not as popular international, but received a lot of attention in Korea. Okay. Yeah, so 2003 was just a phenomenal year for South Korean cinema. And it's just and I I feel like that's the year where it kind of became clear that South Korean cinema had something in the current scene of international cinema. I think 2003 defined South Korean cinema as as near the top of the world stage. Yeah, I can see about three or four of these titles which actually went into cinemas in the UK. Yeah. Which is pretty impressive. Yeah, my favorite, of course, Old Boy is my favorite film of all time. But another one which I, which I've mentioned in this podcast before that I don't think has received as as much attention as it, as it should is Spring, Summer, Fall, Winter, and Spring, Kim Ki Duke's mm-hmm. film, mm-hmm. Uh, and that that's another masterpiece. I, I think you've said you've seen it, right? I uh, yes, I um, Kim Ki Duke's movies were screened on British television, so Samaritan Girl, Spring, Summer, so on, so forth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think Bad Guy as well. Uh, and Free Iron, those four were screened. Uh, yeah, so th- that's that. I mean, that's spring, summer, uh, fall, winter, and spring is a masterpiece, in my opinion. Uh, it was very highly regarded in Korea, but and I think it did receive theatrical release in the West. I don't know if that means UK or US or both, uh, but it uh, it uh, it uh, it didn't get the traction in the West uh, that it that I I think it deserved. Yeah, it's definitely going to be one of the titles we're going to look at. Is the podcast absolutely? And I'm. Let me check. I th- yeah. So it did win. It did. It did get nominated for best foreign film at the European Film Awards. I'm not sure if you if that's something that you follow. No. So the European Film Awards, they 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 kind of fallen down now, but they used to be considered like the Oscars of Europe. So the sort of the collective European continent. Uh, uh, kind of decided, I think in the eighties, I'm not sure to, to have this uh, like awards that celebrated all the European film, and they were kind of, uh, I think during nineties and two thousands were fairly important, and I used to follow them. I don't follow them anymore, but uh, they have you know their usual uh, best European actor, best European actress, best cinematographer, best director. Uh, like in two thousand three, I'm looking right now, La- Lars von Trier won for Dogville. Okay. Um, yeah. So so you know I. I I, I mean, I think they're worth looking into. I think they've made some good choice. Like, best film was Goodbye Lenin. I don't know if you've seen that film. Uh, yes. 
on the BBC years ago. Another good film. I wouldn't call it a masterpiece. But they also have this international film category, which is uh, for um, uh, for films made outside Europe. And I've got one nominee that year was Kill Bill. Uh, which one? The first one. Oh, that's definitely the best one. Yeah. So Lost in Translation, Mystic River, Zatoichi, uh, Takeshi Kitano's Zatoichi film. Yeah. The Barbarian Invasions, that Canadian film, which actually won. Uh, that's another good one. That's good, yeah. Yeah, but Spring, Summer, Fall, Winter, and Spring was a nominee that year, which I find it remarkable. So it did definitely, this whole uh, uh, detour was to point out that it did actually receive attention in the West, but not as much as some of these other films like Old Boy and Memories of Murder, and even A Tale of Two Sisters. Yeah. Okay, so I think, yeah, I think I spent more time than I should have on that bit, but uh, someone might find it useful. No, I'm sure like all of this uh, is useful, especially if you're interested in sort of researching the history of how films are received in different territories or where they go. Absolutely. Uh, okay, so um, I, I think that's it. Why don't you uh, give us uh, do the thing that we usually do? Uh, what is uh, maybe maybe let's do what letter grade would you give this film, and how would you rank it in Bong Joon Ho's filmography? We kind of already did that, but let's kind of. Uh, do it nice and in in one contained section in the end. A letter grade, um, A, uh, A plus. I suppose it would be um, out of all of Bong Joon Ho's movies, I'd say it was his best. Uh, and I think it's a good introduction to Korean cinema and possibly Korean history because you get a lot of social details. And uh, you can see how uh, melodramatic it can become and how um, uh, good the police procedural can be. And um, you get Song Kang-ho. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I absolutely agree with that. A for me, A+. plus. I don't know what the highest is, but it just gets gets that. And uh, I, I like you, I would put it at the top of uh, my Bon Joon-ho list. Uh, maybe at the top by, by a significant amount. I think it's this is a, uh, a masterpiece. Considering it's only his second feature film, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, that that's that that's that's also worth pointing out, and it's a very good way to introduce someone into South Korean cinema first and uh, Asian cinema second. And in fact, this was one of the early South Korean films that I watched, and it definitely did a lot into keeping me into that that territory. Okay, so uh, is there anything else? that uh, you'd like to add before we uh, make the closing announcement? Yeah, please let us know what you think uh, and uh, feel free to interact with us on the website and um, on Twitter and uh, visit our uh, blogs and uh, look at our writing on vCinemaRag. Absolutely. Make sure, you know, if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, corrections... That's I would be very happy if we get correction for everything we say because we don't we don't fact check all of our statements so be warned uh, so you know don't feel don't feel like you have to be polite of course be polite but uh, don't don't be afraid to to tell us when we've made mistakes uh, this is why I usually add a disclaimer in front of things yeah that's that's always good practice. Okay, so that's it for this episode. Next time, our plan is to cover the Chinese film Devils on the Doorstep, directed by, if I'm pronouncing the uh, director's name correctly, Wang Jiang. 
that's it's still tentative. We're not. We think that's the film we'll cover. It depends on if we can. Uh, depends on partially depends on availability. Although most likely that's the film that we'll cover next week. Uh, until then, uh, we uh, we hope you stay safe, have a good time, watch the movies that we discuss, and see you in a couple of weeks. Bye.